are going to have a great program for you all today. All right. Anyhow, folks, we are going to have a great show for you. Melanie Keelan is in the house. Welcome, Melanie Keelan. Eric Hayes is in the house. But <coughs> where is everybody? Did we not send out the link? Did it not occur on YouTube that all the links went out? I hope it did. But I'm looking at the YouTube channel and people are missing. Where's everybody? Happy Valentine's Day. Are you out with your lady? Are you out with your man? Are you out with your better half? Maybe that's the case. Anyhow, we have a great show for you today. I want to start, however, uh, talking a little bit. What I'm going to do is I'm, while more people get here, I am going to go ahead and bring up a Common Dreams article that I found. Uh, let's see if I can get it up in, in, in here. Uh, that made me quite happy, especially after a rant that I did at KPFT. And that article is as follows. And I'm testing out new way of bringing our windows in, but that's the article right there. And it seems like I need to skewer this up so that it takes more of the screen. It looks like that does it. All right. I, I hope that works. Anyway, like I said, we are using new software and checking out the different features. So if we have a little mishap, you understand why we had a little mishap. Okay, here we go. Sanders Warren plan would tax the rich to increase Social Security by $2,400 a year. And it sounds like what they're saying is they're going to tax the rich. But, you know, uh, what they're going to do is make the rich pay what they weren't paying for before. All right, here's a go. It says, right now, a Wall Street CEO who makes $30 million pays the same amount into Social Security as someone who makes $160,000 a year, said Senator uh, Sanders. Our bill puts an end to that absurdity. As congressional Republicans threaten to cut Social Security and other key federal programs, progressive Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren led a group of lawmakers Monday in unveiling legislation that would increase Social Security benefits by at least $200 a month and prolong the program's solvency for decades by finally requiring wealthy Americans to pay their fair share. The Social Security Expansion Act introduced by uh, Sanders and Warren in the Senate and by Representative Schakowsky and Hoyle in the House would put an additional $2,400 in beneficiaries' pockets each year and ensure the program is fully funded through 2096. I think they should actually be able to give more than that because, like I said, the wealthy, those people making those mega bucks, they're living off of the intellect, service, and efficiency and productivity of all those who went unpaid for over 40 years since Reaganomics been instituted and probably before. The bill would accomplish this by lifting the cap on the maximum amount of income subject to Social Security payroll tax, a change that would not raise taxes on the 93% of U.S. households that make $250,000 or less per year, according to an analysis conducted by the Social Security Administration at the request of Sanders. Currently, annual earnings above $160,200 are not subject to Social Security payroll tax, which means that millionaires will stop contributing to the program later this month. The legislation proposes lifting the cap and subjecting all income above $250,000 per year 
to the Social Security payroll tax if enacted. The bill would have raised more than $3.4 billion from the nation's top 11 highest paid CEOs alone in 2021, including $2.9 billion from Tesla and Twitter executive Elon Musk. Yes, that's what we need to do. At the time when nearly half of older Americans have no retirement savings and most and almost 50% of our nation's seniors are trying to survive on an income of less than $25,000 a year, our job is, is not to cut Social Security, Sanders said in a statement. Our job is to expand Social Security so that every senior in America can retire with the dignity that they deserve and every person with a disability can live with the security they need. The chair of the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pension uh, continued. The legislation that we introduced today will expand Social Security benefits by $2,400 a year and will extend the solvency of Social Security for the next 75 years by making sure that the wealthiest people in our society pay their fair share into the system. Right now, a Wall Street CEO who makes $30 million, the same amount, in, pays the same amount into Social Security as someone who makes $160,000 a year. The Vermont Independent added, our bill puts an end to that absurdity which will allow us to protect Social Security for generations to come while lifting millions of seniors out of poverty. As Sanders' office noted, before 1935, when it was signed into law, the President Franklin Roosevelt, about 50% of the nation's seniors were living in poverty, as well as countless Americans living with disabilities and surviving dependents of deceased workers. Nearly 90 years later, the senior poverty rate is down to 10.3% and the 2021 alone during the onslaught of the COVID-19 pandemic. Social Security lifted 26.3 million Americans out of poverty, including more than 18 million seniors. Despite this long legacy of combating poverty before, more, more must be done to strengthen the program, not cut it. While the average Social Security benefit is only $16.88 a month, Nearly 40% of seniors rely on Social Security for a majority of income and in seven, uh, and one in seven rely on it more than 90% of the income and nearly half of Americans age 55 and older have no retirement savings at all. Skalkowski warned that instead, 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 of working to protect Social Security, my Republican colleagues are plotting to cut benefits and raise the retirement age. Those are non-starters. Those should not uh, be at all even considered. On tomorrow on my program, is it tomorrow Wednesday? Tomorrow Wednesday? Yeah, tomorrow in my program, I will play a corrected excerpt from my Monday program at KPFT that gives the reason why we should not even be concerned about taxing the holy hell out of the rich because they have been parasites in the way they have done in taxes in this country and continue to do in taxes in this country. 
Contrary to claims uh, of GOP lawmakers who are clamoring to slash benefits and postpone eligibility, the latest annual Social Security trustee report showed that the program has a $2.85 trillion surplus in the trust fund, enabling it to pay 100% of promised benefits through 2035, 90% for the next 25, and 80% for the next 75. While House Republicans are willing to put Social Security on the chopping block, we are fighting hard to protect Americans' hard-earned benefits and expand coverage, said Hoyle. With the rising cost of living, it's time to modernize and expand Social Security. It is imperative that we do that. In addition to lifting the tax caps to boost benefits by $200 each month for all recipients, the Social Security Expansion Act would increase cost of living adjustment by adopting a more accurate measure of inflation, improve the special minimum benefit to help keep low-income workers out of poverty, and restore student benefits up to age 22 for children of disabled or deceased workers. Endorsed by 56 labor unions and progressive advocacy groups, the legislation is overwhelmingly popular among voters who have consistently expressed opposition to cutting or privatizing Social Security. According to polling results published uh, Monday by Data uh, for Progress, 78% of likely voters support the Social Security Expansion Act, including 85% of Democrats, 75% of Independents, and 72% of Republicans. The survey commissioned by Social Security Works, that's my buddies, Lawson's group, was conducted online from January 27th to January 30th. Social Security Works is proud to endorse the Social Security Expansion Act. The group's executive director, Alex Lawson, said in a statement, this bill is the answer to any politician pundit uh, who claims we can't afford it. Social Security, it protects and expands benefits. All right. Let's hear what some of you are saying now about that great article. Uh, we have uh, James A. Robichaud says, Taxing the rich does nothing to enable us to pay out more Social Security. We can pay out more Social Security by paying out more Social Security. Look, I understand what you're saying, uh, James, but we live in a society where we still have these checks, okay? The awful monetarist tax to spend narrative just puts rich people. Look, I get that. It's not that you're putting them on a pedestal. I call them parasites. So please do not say that we're putting them on a pedestal. We're not. I've already stated a statement of fact. The wealthy gets wealthy on the profits they make on the intellect, service, and labor of the, of the masses. How many different ways do I need to say that? That's not trying to make the rich seem like they're on a pedestal serving us because they're not. And we understand that. But we do have methods of accounting. And if you're to follow methods of accounting, right, where we put money in and pay, again, this is just for numerical analysis. If we, if we follow the methods of accounting in this society that still has this structure, you can talk about changing the structure after. You can, you can talk about changing the structure from a monetary structure. However, to do that requires a complete revamp of society, not only American society, but world society. We're not there, but we can handle these problems today by using what, uh, what Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are speaking about. Again, understand we understand, we understand the concept. We have to stop being singularly tunneled vision on solutions to problem. I understand all the aspects 
that you speak about, Brother Rabicho. I understand actually every single thing you're talking about, and we're not in disagreement. However, we do have a structure. You can choose to go and bite something that you'll never get, or you can do something that's attainable. And again, to, to make believe that somehow you're glorifying the rich by, 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 by saying you guys have stolen enough. It's time to take it back. That's what we are actually saying. All right. 82247 says, or did I salute everybody? Melanie Keelan, welcome aboard. Uh, Michael Rodnan, welcome aboard. Just got home. Wasn't expecting to be away that long. Well, you were, but you're here, which is what's important, my brother. Thank you for being here. Anyhow, continuing, we have, huh, Egberto, what happened to Biden saying, if you make 400000 you won't be taxed anymore? Well, actually, I think he covered that. He's going to, just to keep that promise, just to keep that promise of $400,000, it looks like there is a window that he's leaving between the $250,000 mark and the, and the $400,000 mark. I, in this case, I would go back on the promise. I would just go ahead and say, I'm, I'm sorry. It was, you know, it was ill-informed. Uh, all, all social security should be taxable because you don't want to leave the person making two hundred fifty thousand and less as uh, saying, "Oh, we are carrying the load." I think everything should be taxed. And maybe what we could do here's what we probably could do because we're taxing everything now. And I don't know if if uh, Bernie and Elizabeth did this yet. We could probably drop the social security rate so that in effect. All those who make under uh, under $250,000 will actually get a tax cut. And those making $400,000 would make the same. And then those making over, uh, you know, the other thing. You know, we could probably work some magic with the numbers to keep the promise. But I don't think, my thing is that there's so, there such a small amount of people making between uh, the, the $160,000 and the $400,000 that you can go ahead and say, forgive me, but for the better good of the country, my promise as defined was ill-advised. Um, now, uh, let's see. Lee Grant says, or Mike Cisak says, Elon Musk doesn't make earned income in the billions, uh, only taxes earned income. Hey, you heard what I said. I don't want only earned income to be taxed. I want wealth to be taxed because it was, in fact, generated at some time by appreciation, which is a form of appreciated income. It's income because it's what you have. I want everything taxed. Everything. All right. Lee Grant says, I've read 2020 uh, tax uh, forms filed 2021. The newest data shows that the top 1% of earners with incomes over 548000 paid nearly 42% of all income taxes. What percent would left like? Well, you know why they pay that amount? Because they're the ones making the money. They're the ones that are parasites that are taking the money from the rest. If they were actually paying their fair share. In other words, if, when I say pay their fair share, I'm not only talking in taxes, I'm talking in wages. The reason a CEO can make $35 million is because the average worker going into the tanks, going into those oil tanks and scrubbing it, they're not making the money commensurate with what their value is to that company. So therefore, if they're stealing the money, of course they're going to pay more in taxes. Of course. 
Mike Cisek says the only parasites in this country are leftists who keep voting to steal money from people with who earn their wealth. They didn't earn it. When Bezos sells my book, when Bezos sells my book, he did absolutely nothing for the extra delta he makes on my book. Bezos makes more on my book that I wrote than I do. Please don't talk to me about somehow these wealthy people earn their money. They are taking a piece of all of our intellect. I spent hours upon hours writing books, writing items. And when Bezos printed, because they have the turnkey method, he takes most of the profits because he can. All right? So please, that's a parasite. That's the actual definition of a parasite. Please. All right. Uh, let's see what else we got. Um, Maywood says, good afternoon and happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Thank you, Maywood. Paul Fleming is in the house. Bruce Pollard is in the house. He says, no one here has earned their wealth. They stole it from the land which belongs to all and paid their workers the lowest wage people would accept. Bruce gets it. And Bruce ain't no pinko, communist, socialist. He's a right down the center guy. And he gets it. All right, Mike says, I say, Berto, you claim that the rich are getting wealth off the backs of others, that you are claiming people aren't getting paid. I am playing, claiming they're not getting paid commensurate with, with their value. That's, that's, not hard to, uh, uh, that's not hard to discern. They're not getting paid commensurate with their value. The mere fact that their excess, excesses of what is made from their products and pro products and labor is going into the pockets of the wealthy. So, yes, that's what I'm, I'm saying. They're not getting paid commensurate with their work. Maywood says, rather, we would be taxing them at the... Okay, uh, I'll read that one later. Uh, James A. Robicho says, replying, holy crap, you straw man me and shifted the, the goalpost. Great job. Yeah, we need to change of understanding. You could be a part of what if you wanted to do so, but you are choosing to dignify harmful lies. I am not dignifying any lies. I've Please tell me a lie that I've told. Please give me a lie that I've told my brother. I don't, do not, do not, if I do not agree with your premise, or I may agree with your premise, but I have a different pathway to the solution, do not disparage that. Work in concert. That is the only reason the right wing ever stands a chance. If we who are moral and have good ideas completely tries to be pure in our ideas, what then happens is we leave the door open for the charlatanes on the right. Okay, continuing. Uh, let's see. Uh, Social Security Expansion Act. Thank you for putting that out there, E2247. Mike C. So would you tax on realized capital gains? Yes. Absolutely. And I would also give a refund when, uh, if there is a depreciative value in that gain as well. So absolutely, yes, I will tax wealth. When my house, uh, let, let's be clear, my house worth some amount of some value. Every single year, I pay property taxes on my home. My home is capital and it's taxed every year. My car is capital and it's taxed every year. A stock is capital. It should be taxed every year on its value on a particular date. 
Yes, it needs to be taxed. Not just the appreciation of the tax, but the actual value of the stock. Absolutely so. You are already paying it if you own land and you're paying property taxes of land, site CSEC. If you do not support what I just said, you are saying, I don't mind being a sucker to the rich because you are doing that. Tom C. says, hey, GOP, corruption investigation needed. Subpoena Jared Kushner, laptop, and find out what he did get in billions. James Rupert Charles says, pay their fair share, reinforces the dishonest and harmful conservative liberty. All right, let's, let's go to another comment. Egberto, you preach it is Republicans wanting to sunset Medicare and might uh, want to talk about sunset guy leader said and uh, okay i am not going to go into that portion at all uh let's see what else i got to say here um mike csac says i'm not going to go into that i tell you what i tell you what egberto land is tangible not stocks you got to make up your mind if if stocks are not tangible as you want to define tangible per irs if you don't want to define it as tangible, right, then don't call it capital. You see, the, 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 the psychological games you want to play by having stock represent the tax, the taxes are the implied representation of the value of a company. No different than the, the value of land is based on what it's currently worth. Can the price of land go up and go down? Yes. Can the price of a stock go up and down? Yes. Is the stock representative of a company? Yes. Is the price of the land representative of the current value of that land? Yes. They are. There is no different. The only distinction is created so that they can cloud your mind into believing they should not be the same. But anyway, folks, I have got to play... Uh, I have got to go to the new the new uh, story that we have on uh, the interview that I did today. So bear with me as I bring that interview in. Check out this interview, and then we'll take this uh, social security on the other side. Thank you guys for being here. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Ramek. Berto Willis, your host. We have a very special guest today, and I'm going to put this little entry. It's even more special. Because she's dear to me. This is my cousin, first cousin, and she is doing great work in Colorado, to be exact, Boulder, Colorado. Anyway, Katrina Miller is a journalist, producer, and director. She's the owner of Black Cat Video Productions. Katrina has been featured in Boulder's Lifestyle Magazine, a speaker and panelist at the Rocky Mountain AV Expo, a guest on KGNU. In NACP radio show, Black Talk, and is currently the director of the documentary, which we'll also discuss a great documentary titled, This Is Bracketed Not Who We Are, which explores racial equity and inclusion, placing Boulder as a microcosm of the U.S. as a whole. Ms. Miller has a degree in journalism from the University of Colorado, but says that experience has been her best teacher. From filmmaking, creative consulting, instructing, shooting, editing video, to, to directing videography at Red Rocks Amphitheater, Katrina said, I have over 20 years of experience in the field of video production. Katrina Miller, how are you doing today? Welcome to Politics Done Right. 
Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. You know, I follow you too and your show and you're doing just wonderful things. So thank you so much for for having me today. Well, well, how could I possibly not have you, especially after watching your documentary? I mean, um, I really enjoyed how you wielded one story to tell hundreds of stories with it. I mean, that, that took some effort to wield that one story to tell the multitudes of stories that you told. But before we get into that, who is Katrina Miller? All right. Um, Well, you know, I am a filmmaker. I have lived in Colorado for for most of my life, um, but I definitely grew up in a military town that had a lot of diversity, a lot of different people, as as most military towns do. Um, But when I was 18, I moved to Boulder, Colorado uh, to go to the university here. It's definitely university town. But the thing I didn't know when I showed up was that it was the second whitest university in the United States at the time, uh, being next to Brigham Young University. (laughs) Wow, in Utah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I get there and it was very much so a culture shock. Um, I... In my life, I have, um, you know, been integrated with a bunch of different people, but I was dealing with people in Boulder who had never met even a black person. And that was one thing even my roommate had said to me. I'd never even met um, a black person before. So it's um, what ends up happening, though, in Boulder, because it's a college town um, that really perceives itself as really liberal and progressive and full of really good people. But um, with that, there's a lot of black spots. And it's hard for my town to often admit um, that we have a lot of the same problems as anywhere else, Um, especially when you look at the unhoused, when we look at racism, um, you know, just just the the gamut. And so what this film was doing was really exploring, really exploring that gap between Boulder's self-perception and reality. And we did that through interviews with the African-American community and the um, people in the film range from, um, you know, youth, uh, like like um, middle school age up until uh, we have um, a lady who marched with Dr. Martin Luther King at one point in her life. So um, just showing the, the wide range of uh, people who are affected by, um, you know, a liberal town trying to hide the problems that it has. And so um, what we believe is that there are lots of towns like this. There's lots of places in the world like this. And Boulder, this story that focuses on Boulder, is just a microcosm for what's happening in other places. So um, I talked more about the film than myself right there. But I mean, those experiences and a lot of what I've seen has driven me to make this film. It's it's how it came out of me. So you, you this wasn't your first film. You, you, you no. did a, a very intense uh, view of Boulder before, didn't you? Um, so not exactly. The other films that I've done, uh, one was a student film that had a lot of similarities to this, but this was, I was still a college student. There was a lot more uh, skill to be had before a documentary feature was made. So, so there was that. And that film was uh, made because I was a student on campus and I saw my friends go through incidents and um, learning about 
civil rights, taking really in-depth look at it in my history classes at CU, um, you know, made me understand the power that the media had during that time, the civil rights of the 60s. Um, and so I believe that I could, I could make an impact too. If I made film and I focused on what was going on in my community. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, but, you know, it, it's interesting because one, I think telling this kind of a story that has a wider appeal. In other words, um, one of the, the way, one of the, I like the way that you express in your, in your productions and what you do because of your actual background. There are a lot of axes that you don't have to grind. You can come from to, to things from an objective point of view. And I'm going to bring up a little, a, a little personal thing here in a, in a matter in that you're an interracial, uh, relation, uh, interracial, interracial marriage, which gives you the full perspective on either side and as well on the combined side. I've seen some of the, the writings that you've done on, on your, um, on your, Facebook page and other places. What do you think that, and before we get into the movie, what do you think that brought to your perception of what and who Boulder actually is? And, and by the way, in as much as we say Boulder, I went to mm -hmm. college in Austin, Texas, yep. the liberal town in Texas and everything that you specified in your film in Boulder, I could have, made it congruent to Austin and just about every other town that consider themselves a liberal town. But anyway, how did your, your, your personal relationship gives, give you what it took to be able to tell an objective view of the entire story? Uh, well, absolutely. Because, you know, I do live my life as an African-American woman, you know, regardless of me married to um, a white man or not, you know, my lived experience has been in this body and with this skin. And um, when I am on camp, when I was on campus and even today, when I walk around uh, Boulder, it's it's just people are going to look at me and not say, oh, she has a white husband somewhere or, oh, you know, her um, part of her is is Latina or whatever. No, not in Boulder. They're going to um, see me as a black woman. And in, in, in that, that has been my experience. And so what I... <sighs> Egberto, what I say is that every single experience that you see in that film is something that I have experienced to some degree. And it became more pronounced when I moved to a town that was majorly white. It became more pronounced and I saw more people around me having negative experiences and things even more serious, um, than, than I did. I know everything's relative, but you know, I haven't had guns pulled on me when I'm trying to pick up trash in front of my front yard, that kind of thing. Um, and so just, just having humanity, mm -hmm. <laughs> I believe as well is what drove me to, um, to really want to create something like this and really believing that there is a, a, a possibility for, for change. If people are aware, if people understand more of a context, um, which history helps with 
and uh, and stories. Stories are very impactful. So. And I noticed that is what you place on your on your site where you talk about being able to story tell and going into the movie itself. Now, um, this is not in bracket who we are. And let me tell you, I was fixated on the movie. I started it up, started watching, and it's a movie where you const- you know, you, you start the movie and you know how I'm always blogging. You start the movie and you have to stop what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it is that Im- impactful. And what I love about the way you do it is you weave one story to show that that story is a microcosm of everything that has occurred thereafter. So what I want to ask you to do is to go ahead and start the story. Tell us a little bit, of, not not enough that the folks aren't going to want to click on the link below that I want you guys to go ahead and check out this, this movie. This is an important movie. I don't care who you are. This is an important movie for every single American to see. And most important about this movie is how it is told in a manner that is not necessarily comfortable, but is palatable for everybody to see. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, in Boulder, Colorado, 2019, it made national news when a young man named Zaid Atkinson was in front of his front uh, in front of his apartment where he lived doing work study, picking up trash, you know, taking care of the property. And he was approached by a police officer who um, asked him over and over again, do you belong here? I need to make sure you belong. Zaid proceeded to uh, supply him with information to let him know, yes, I do live here, but uh, police officer wasn't happening it wasn't having it at the end of the day uh how the story was playing out this young man zade ended up with six police officers surrounding him with guns drawn um all because he was picking up trash in his yard and people did not believe that he belonged there and for what reason? That is the through line of our film. It starts there, but throughout the movie, you hear stories from students who are experiencing bullies in schools. In schools, um, You hear about the microaggressions that people are facing and how, um, how that has an effect and toll as well. Um, You also hear about uh, the loss of um, economic and vocational opportunities. Um, Basically, a lot of different systemic issues are brought out and talked about through story. So when you say that it's palatable, I do believe that um, that's why this film does feel accessible because it's all done through story. Mm -hmm. I do I will stand by saying that this film isn't necessarily trying to prove a point. What we did was we turned the lens. Um, we looked at Boulder through a black lens. We looked at a town through a black lens, whereas it's always been looked at um, through through a white lens. You know, look at how beautiful our mountains are and, you know, all the outdoor life and our university. Um, but every picture has um, has, you know, the, the white family, the happy white family. And it's like, well, where are we? Where is everybody else in this picture? Um, and so that 
is what our film did. It gave everybody an opportunity to speak about their different experiences um, in hopes that we can have um, our recognition in this town in hopes that people see that these problems are real. We're not talking about history. Um, and people try to make actionable change. And again, in the film, we talk about all these different things that are happening through stories. And I tell people that whatever triggers them, whatever triggers them, that's the thing that is what you need to pursue and the work you need to be doing. If you are interested in police reform, because of what you saw happening to Zaid, then work on that. If you um, felt really passionate when you heard the young girl talking about her experiences in schools, then you need to be working with DEI in education, you know? Um, but I feel like this film really lays it out for people in a way to um, understand what some of the issues are and how they can get started um, with their allyship, you know, or as I like to call allies, I like to call them abolitionists, mm -hmm. you know, because we need more than, um, than, than allies at this point. So. I call it that uh, complicits. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but really with all these stories, um, I feel as if the film ends on, um, it does end on, on a hopeful note, you know, there is that, that, uh, that promise of hope through, um, coming up with, with solutions, actual practical solutions, and perhaps it's, it's legislation or, um, creating spaces within our community that, um, are supportive of African-Americans that are here. You know, we have a large university. So what the question was, what are we doing to support the African-American students that are there? So, yeah, the film covers a lot. It and, covers a lot of ground. Uh, right. And, and, I, and there's something that, that, that I want to say a little bit differently than you said it. And that is um, you said uh, as far as I uh, go do something, or rather, I want to say that the, the film is one of those films that says, Damn it, go do something. Yeah. And the title also says it all. The yeah. way the title is written, this is in brackets, not, but who we are. In other words, this is who we are. We don't want to be yeah. this, but this is who we are. And the thing about it, it presents it in a manner that you can say, oh my God, I didn't realize that. But you mm -hmm. know what? Now that I do... I can actually do something about it. I just want, uh, like I told you, as soon as I saw the film, and I think I called you immediately after watching yeah, it, yeah. sent you an email immediately. Uh, I had to say, God, well done. And I'm not easily impressed with the amount of stuff that I see. Yeah. And I, I sat at that film and it's like, wow, we need to get this film a hell of a lot of coverage because it speaks to people and it, it, people will understand it as they see the particular film. Now you are an award-winning person who hates talking about herself, but I'm going to, I'm going to use big cousin on top of you and say, Hey girl, before I don't even want to talk about the new thing that happened today. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about some of those awards. Boulder has been awarded oh. to this hell of a uh, director here. 
All right. Um, well, one of the most amazing things that happened with this film is that, uh, you know, we were in our Boulder International Film Festival, our local film festival. It's actually pretty huge in that world. Um, and I already knew that our film was not in a category to be judged. I, I was given privy to that information. It's like, okay, we're not going to win any awards this time. Um, and at the award ceremony, it was a uh, just true surprise um, and so reaffirming when we won the People's Choice Award. Mm -hmm. So the people voted for our film, telling us that they resonated with this, that they want to see this film be successful um, in hopes to prompt more people into action, that more people should see this film. And again, it just it just blew me away. This under under underestimated film, you know, black filmmaker, uh, you know, with my team. And look what happened. Look what happened because of the people. And that gave me so much hope. So there, there was that, um, boy, well, you got to sure. know. What, okay, I tell you, well, let's start with today. The award that today. <laughs> See, okay. I mean, you have such a hard time. Let's start with today. Okay. The YWCA is an organization that um, their mission is to uh, empower women and eliminate racism. They are an organization that is in many states, uh, many cities, many states, and it's all over the world. This is international. And the things they do are incredible, bringing STEM to young people, um, helping Helping women to um, to to get out of domestically violent situations, um, you know, uh, having demonstrations like marches, but also having tables there where people can sign up in a way that they can actually do actionable steps after the demonstration. Um, anyway. I think they're wonderful. And this year they decided to give me the impact award uh, for our community. So I'm winning the, the YWCA um, uh, community impact award. And what they told me is, um, you know, this film is not only bringing awareness and in our, in our community, but it's really uh, bringing along dialogue and people are talking and they're sitting, having these conversations that, that, that felt so hard at one point, but now they're realizing how, critical it is if they really want to be the people they say they are um, that there's action that has to happen behind it and so it meant so much to be recognized by the YWCA for that so interestingly uh, your 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 film shouldn't have won an award but it got a people's choice award uh -huh. somehow <laughs> out of the blue somebody calls you up today and say you know we want to give you the darn impact award uh, a couple of years back i saw you on stage getting another award doesn't that tell you something katrina yes your work your your work is very is so very good and it, it, as more people see this, there's just a hell of a lot more to come. That's all I can tell you. There's just a hell of a lot more to come. I hope so. I really hope so. This isn't the last film. And I, it's only in me to make films um, about 
groups that need it most groups that need to be highlighted and the issues that need to be highlighted. Um, and most prominently the black community, you know, that's really where a lot of my life experiences and where, um, I feel like I can help to come up with solutions or at least give people that I know and people that I know are doing the work, a platform, um, in order to, to speak. So there was a time where I felt like all I did was, was make videos and, you know, wasn't anything that, that important. I just hold a camera, um, but these past few years, I have really seen what an impact, um, my films are making. And just like some of the films that I have watched in the past as well, that have had impacts on me and documentaries, um, you know, because not only am I able to educate people on history and social issues. Um, I've also had opportunities to highlight people in our community who um, people never, never knew about, you know, there, there's a lot of um, there's elderly African-American women and men here. And um, you know, that have stories of how they help to uh, make bolder as I don't know to, to make bolder what it is and they are unsung heroes and people don't know their stories. And so there's a woman that I've been working with who knows a lot of these people. Her name is Glenda Robinson. Um, and she has been, um, helping to bring these people's histories and stories out and what people say in Boulder is like, I never knew that. I never knew who the first nurse practitioner was um, at this clinic. I never knew how that school was built. And guess what? It was our African-American community. Um, those, other- are, those are important stories. Uh, not, I, I interrupted you for one thing because you reminded me of something in, in the film. And that was, I think it was a boarding house or a, hotel or something that that mm-hmm. had a complete black staff that I yes. uh, got it all up and running perfectly and after it was very successful and running they're all booted out but the place remained it was it, 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 it is these are the stories that to some it's just a blip but the mm-hmm. material effect that it has on the psyche of a people yes uh knowing that you know even your success is not you know gets transferred to someone else just because of who you are. Mm-hmm. Such a great film. Mm. Thank you so much. And you know what? We are on the same wavelength because I was just about to talk about that. That's Chautauqua. Mm-hmm. Chautauqua is a very well known um, just area in Boulder. There's a dining hall. There's hiking because um, it's right at the foot of these mountains we call the Flatirons. Uh, beautiful area. Very historic. Um, and when it first opened in the early 1900s, the Chautauqua Dining Hall, which and or an auditorium, it's it's like this huge complex. Mm -hmm. Um, When it first opened, yeah, they did have um, an all black staff. And we find out through the film um, that basically everybody was terminated. And even the the black manager who was the supervisor of everybody, everyone was just terminated. you know, ah, I can't give away too much of the no, movie. No, you can't. Right, right. I think that that tells enough. Yeah. And so living in this community, let me tell you what happened and what I think is great, too. So living in my community after the film comes out, wins the award, 
everybody wants to see it. Um, there's in my town and there are different venues contacting, contacting us. Um, how do we screen the film? How do we screen the film? Chautauqua called me. (laughs) Really? Yes. And it's like, okay, Chautauqua. All right. Well, you're in the film. Okay, Chautauqua, I think you should have an event. And I think that you should, um, we should have artists and speakers and everybody should get paid and it should come out of your pocket. <laughs> it took a little bit of time, but it happened. Wow. It happened. And let me tell you what, more about this underestimating what people can do. I was told, you know, we only sell like 300 tickets for these, for these film screenings. You know, we're probably not going to have a good turnout. <laughs> It was a full house. 1,100 tickets sold. What? Yes, it was incredible. The president of CU was like, can I come see the film? Um, it was um, it was incredible. It was amazing. And from what I heard, it was like this, um, this uh, lovely cultural experience that was also very healing on the space. And I said, good on you, Chautauqua. Um, you know, instead of hiding in the shadows, being embarrassed and feeling guilty... He stood up and said, yes, we did that. That was wrong. That's not who we are anymore. And this is what we're going to do moving forward. We've atoned. We've atoned, yes. They took that accountability, didn't go into that world of defensiveness, but said, okay, what can we do to make this right? That was intentional actions. What can we do intentionally right now to make this right? And... I hope that that sets an example for many other places and people, you know, not only in my town, but, but everywhere else. And, and that's what I'm saying that, that it has to be the catalyst and, and your film will definitely be one of the catalysts in America doing this, especially in these times where we have uh, some of these politicians trying to eliminate the ability to learn true, the, truly what has happened in the past. It's not enough that most of what we learn right now is not completely accurate, mm-hmm. but now they want it completely erased. Eliminated. That's the importance of films like what you do. That's the importance of the work that you do. That's the importance of what you have to continue. Mm. So with that, I'd like to ask Miss Katrina Miller to give me a closer. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't. You know, one thing that happens after this film so many times is people ask me, what can I do? What can be done? Um, This film does do a very good job of opening up hearts and minds. And so uh, I'm happy to get that question, but I always turn it back on the audience and say, that is up to you to discover, to do the work, to figure out your personal accountability, what resources you have, and how you can best contribute to the movement of racial equity. We all, we all have resources. It doesn't have to be something big, a a flashy sign or anything. Sometimes it's as big as, oh, you know what? I have a black neighbor I never met. Let me go say hello. (laughs) Um, Hey, I heard these people saying something that was, um, yeah, saying something pretty racist. I'm going to confront them. It's, It's as simple as that. One thing that I feel like is really important is to back ideas and, um, 
you know, um, just organizations that are put in place by African-Americans and people of color um, because we often have the life experience. We do have the life experience um, to know what the solutions are. And so I know uh, people want to be heroes, but a lot of times you just have to look to the people and see what they actually want. So um, thank you very much uh, for having me today. And I also wanted to say that the website is this is not who we are film.com. We are getting really close to getting on national PBS. Um, and so we're currently still getting donations in order to um, help that effort, as well as to help our effort with distribution. We want on a big level for this film to be free for schools, um, K through 12. Um, so yeah, that's something that we're working on. But as far as getting this distributed into more people's homes and whatnot, uh, we need help with that. And we're needing help with with outreach as, as far as getting this seen by more people. Um, yeah. And I just it's I really also feel like everybody should watch this film. And it is something um, it's something unlike anything else anyone has ever seen. I feel just based on the accessibility of the stories. So, yeah. I think people would be pleasantly surprised. Katrina Miller, journalist, <laughs> producer, director, owner of Black Cat Video Productions. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you so much for having me, Egberto. Thank you so much. Anyway, folks, the blog is already written and you can actually check out uh, how to screen her documentary, etc., etc., etc. It is, it is really, really, really good. When uh, she sent it over to me, I was like, um, "Okay, great. I'll go ahead and watch it." And I figured I'll because it's an hour and change long, and I figured that I would just go do my blogging as I'm watching it. And by gosh, it was so good. And like I said, it spoke to absolutely everybody so there's really a good reason for everybody to take a look at that um to take a look at that so i would you know it's not because she's my cousin that i'm re recommending this but it is really that good it is really that good anyway folks we are coming up at the end of the time there's a lot of stuff that you guys had to say that that i want to touch on but the most important one I think that I really wanted to touch on had something to do with what Brother CSAC had to say. And, you know, I don't expect CSAC and all these guys to, 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 act, to admit that they understand, but I know they will. CSAC said, there was a university that came up with a computer program that could watch for racist terms in social media posts. They figured that they would catch a lot of white people but ended up catching a lot of black people using racist terms instead. And somehow that's a big fine in CSAC's mind. But that there are two answers to that question. One is a certain amount of mocking among black people that they mock each other to, to sort of make fun of the master, if you will, who, are, who constantly think there's foolish and they do it as a term of endearment and by the way i i don't do it but i mean i understand why many do it and the other is that syndrome 
where you adapt the policies, you adapt the evils, you adapt the ills of those who enslaved you, those who were your masters. And that still reflects that, again, white supremacy and racism. So while you may sit down and say, ah, look at that. We did that experiment and black folks use those terms more than white folks. And somehow you go ahead thinking that you've won something. The reality is what you've shown is a purposeful neglect of how human minds work. But again, given that many of you don't like to go into deep levels of uh, in deep levels of thinking no many of you don't like critical thinking what happens then is that you don't see truths and in not seeing truths you completely repeat history and not only repeat history but hurt yourselves and your families i got to get out of here so i want to ask you so kindly my dear followers Please go ahead and support our program. You can support us on PayPal by going to politicsunright.com slash PayPal. You can support us on Patreon by going to politicsunright.com slash Patreon. And you can find all the different methods of supporting our program by going to politicsunright.com slash support. Politicsunright.com slash support. We are in, uh, we, we do need you to support the program. Again, the way we do this is the way, the way we think the world should work. You appreciate the program. I ask you so kindly to support the program. We are here on time every day for you. We tell you we're going to be here. We make sure and do what we, we do. And we make sure and try to make lives better for all, both politically and in this case with Katrina Miller, socially, we try to make a difference. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Oh. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.